I would definitely say that I'm a mystic. This personality, this person that I have become in the world, which is kind of this, it's, it's a construction of so many different ideas and memories and experiences. And we develop this sense of self. But if we strip all of that away, what are we? It's really easy to go out into the weeds of things when you're talking about mysticism. You can really get far out there in things that just have no rational basis in reality. reality. Almost like you take a prism and you shine white light through it and you get a million different colors out the other side. Those million different colors are kind of all the different religious traditions that we have. They're all interpretations or translations of that original mystical insight of oneness. And I see Mormonism in that light, that it is one of these expressions of the ultimate reality. You know, if you dig deeper behind, you know, what is consciousness, it seems like it does cross over into some kind of energy. energy. But we're not actually something separate from it. We are it that is manifesting itself uh, today in the here and now. But when we start digging down deeper through spiritual practices like meditation and, or other means, we can almost penetrate through that intellect, that duality of intellect to something deeper that does seem to show our oneness with all of reality. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 611, Mormon Mysticism with Bryce Haymond, part one. Why part one? I don't know. I mean, Bryce and I, we're going to have more conversations like the one that you're going to hear today. And if you're interested in that, and if there's questions that you have, uh, you know, really, I tell you what, I'd just like you to send me an email. Send me an email to infantsonthrones at gmail.com. And tell me what you think about this stuff. Tell me what you think about Mormon mysticism and this whole way of, of looking at the world. What, what, what do you think about what you're listening to? I want to know. <laughs> I really want to know. And I've, I've had listeners send me videos of uh, the, this, this guy who looks at past life uh, narratives like from kids and he studies them, and it's like an actual legitimate thing, apparently. I don't know. I'm going to do an episode on that upcoming uh, soon, so thank you who sent that to me. I've, I've, had, I've had other people send me so many things in recent weeks. It's almost overwhelming, but I love it, and I want you to be one of them. <laughs> I want you to be somebody who reaches out to me and sends me something, too. Uh, so anyway, you're going to listen to myself and Bryce have a conversation about mysticism. Bryce has really dedicated himself to this topic. He is really... Uh, you're gonna you're gonna hear it. He's written blogs. Uh, he's got a lot of material. Really well versed in this. So I hope you enjoy the the conversation today, and we'll just get right to it. Thanks. So Bryce, thank you for coming on. So I want I want to explain, and and we talked a little bit the other day. I got to know you. Um, we talked for maybe forty five minutes, um, but but one of my listeners. Um, sent me a, a link to your blog and said, Glenn, it sounds like you're interested in mysticism and Mormonism. And there's this guy who's written so much stuff. It's really, and he's very approachable. He's very uh, interesting. And uh, you should go check out Bryce Heyman. 
And uh, so I did. And you were very approachable and personable. You've got this thing called a friendship room. <laughs> so I, I made an appointment and we sat down and chatted in the in the friendship room. So I, I want to introduce you to the, the listeners of Infants on Thrones and, um, you know, g- give give you a chance to share who you are and what you do and, and um, hopefully have some interesting conversations about what mysticism is and how it relates to Mormonism and especially how that's, how that's impacted you and changed your life. So sounds good. Take it away, Bryce. Who are you? (laughs) Well, uh, I am a, uh, I I was born a a Mormon here in Utah uh, to a very uh, conservative Mormon family. Uh, grew up in Sandy. Um, uh, did all the pretty typical Mormon things growing up. You know, there wasn't anything uh, unique really about my childhood. Um, I did all the, the pretty typical Mormon things. Uh, did scouting and, and yeah. beacon and, you know, I, I went to church every Sunday and uh, everything was was pretty pretty typical on that front, um, uh, and uh, you know I, I served a mission. Uh, went to now you 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 we we talked the other day about Nibley. Yeah, like did, were, were you interested in in Hugh Nibley and that kind of like more esoteric Mormonism even as you were growing up? You know I didn't really get into that uh, until a little bit. Uh, later uh, okay All right. i i had been you know a little interested in in nibley i I'd, i've always been a, a deep thinker um mm-hmm. trying to really get to the bottom of things um, but i didn't really get into like nibley until a little bit later later teenage years i would say is when i started uh reading like his material yeah um, and started thinking about these things in a deeper way um, but but like pre pre mission kind of kind of mid teens late teens yeah yeah because like, I was like that too and and the, the reason I asked is because you said it was pretty typical you know Mormon upbringing but I but I don't know how many kids even as teenagers get really interested in <laughs> like Hugh Nibley and yeah. the kinds of things you know but I I did because my dad was yeah and so we he would pull me aside and. He he shared with me this this thing. We didn't talk about this the other the other day, but it was called the Watchers. Uh-huh. Have you heard? Have you heard? Are you familiar with That's the Watchers? Familiar. And what, I try try to reconstruct it, but it was basically because not only did he like Nibley, but he he liked Pseudepigrapha. Uh huh. And so th- there was a story I think from the apocryphal book of Enoch where there were these angels that were placed to got to like rule over the four seasons or the four corners of the earth or something like that and they were called the watchers Mm -hmm. and that they um saw the the offspring of adam and eve the the daughters of men and they lusted after them and so Mm -hmm. these watchers actually fell they they didn't keep their first estate or whatever it was at that point and they co-mingled co-inhabited with the daughters of men and their offspring created the giants Mm -hmm. which you you see you see threads of this I'll call it folklore now, but yeah. you see threads of this story, even in the Bible text, um, why Noah's, there was so much uh, wickedness on the earth that the flood had to come. Part of it was to destroy the, this race of giants that mm. I think they were called the Nephilim. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, so there were like these things in there that my dad would, would pull out and go, hey, do you see there's these little pieces that are even in our scriptures, but there's more 
you know, it's like that article of faith that we believe everything that's been revealed and that there'll be a great many more things revealed. It was that great many more things that really drew my attention and appreciation and a lot of devotion. Um, and I'm guessing that you were probably similar that way, but I, I'm, yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, I, I've, like I said, I've, I've always wanted to think deeply about things and kind of get to the yeah. source and, and, and really try to understand kind of underpinnings of things and where mm -hmm. they come from and why do they develop as they do and, and what's their source and, and why do we do the things that we do and, and all these kinds of questions. And, and so I started getting into that kind of thing in my later teenage years uh, and started thinking more deeply about these things. And um, then I went on a mission uh, to El Salvador uh, Spanish speaking, and uh, and that's probably where I really started getting uh, really deep into these things because that's all I, I I could do really in my study was study uh, yeah. these things, um, and and so I I uh, did a lot of reading and and uh, pondering and and praying on them. what what were the topics that were. That, that most captured your attention like what what did what was it that you wanted to take deep what was it that you wanted to really understand yeah. the origins of it, i i think from a pretty uh, early stage i was really interested in the temple the, hmm. the temple really piqued my interest um uh, of course it didn't until i could go through it myself which was probably when i was about 18 or so yeah uh when i first went through the temple and ever since then, I really wanted to try to understand what is this thing? What is this yeah. temple? Where did we get all of these these rituals? And what does it mean? You know? Yeah. What's the uh, what's the symbolism? Uh, what's it pointing to? Um, so when you would go to the temple, you were fascinated with what was going on. You were paying attention to all of the little things, and and, and trying to figure out how they fit together, like. Uh, did, did you do this? Because I, I did this with like the signs and tokens where I'm like, oh, I noticed there's a progression where like the thing that you do with your right hand and the next time you do that with your left hand, you do something new with your right hand. And then it, like I started noticing these these patterns and going, oh, okay, what does that mean? There's got to be something more that's going on here. Was that your experience? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the kind of things I was asking myself, you know, why why do we do it this way? What, what are we, yeah. what, what are we doing with our hands, our arms? I mean, what what is this about? Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably what initially led me to Nibley because mm -hmm. he had gone so deep in those temple related subjects. Um, and so that's where I really was drawn uh, to Nibley's work because um, a lot of his work deals with temple subjects. Um, and so that's uh, that's what drew me there. And of course, reading Nibley just drew me further into kind of the esoteric um, aspects of religion and spirituality and the history behind it uh, and, and, and how these threads have kind of weaved their way through, uh, through history in so many different societies. And, you know, Nibley was really big in, uh, in investigating even like the Hopi Indian tribe and 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 how the spirit moved through through that people and how it was similar in many ways to uh, the Mormon temple and so yeah. 
I got really into I'm really suspicious of everything that I hear from Nibley now. <laughs> I got to tell you. Like like when when I hear you say that he was studying the Hopi people, I think he was studying like a caricature of the Hopi people that was constructed <laughs> by his understanding of the Book of Mormon. He was like trying to retrofit it yeah. into like see the Hopis prove that the gospel is true. Yeah. And that's the way that I approached it at that time as I thought that yeah. all of these things that that Nibley was uncovering, uh, all the parallels and the similarities in other cultures and other traditions, they were all proof that the yeah, church right. was true, right? Yeah. That the LDS church was in possession of the truth because you see all of these parallels in other cultures. And yeah. of course, all of those are kind of apostate forms of the truth that is only in the LDS church. Yeah, right. That's the way, yeah. that, uh, that's the way that I approached it uh, for a long time. And it was exciting to look at it that way as yeah. you know like oh the that that we've we've got this story that mormonism is a restoration not only of christ's church in the meridian of time but like going all the way back to adam and eve yeah you know? like yeah if adam and eve would have had home teaching and visiting <laughs> teaching you know they yeah. would have been doing it yeah and, and so like every everything that we know as truth if there's something that's even a little bit close to it out there it it seemed like it was a survival from this older relic that yeah. it just kind of yeah. decayed over time exactly had the, the truth yeah and that's exactly the way the nibley portrayed it as well as right these were all kind of apostate forms of the truth the true revelation of god um that was now uh in the lbs church uh, they were all yeah evidence or proof that that what the the lds church was doing doing was true um that it had a a genuine uh, uh source um and so now your 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 wife has gone through a folklore she's got a master's degree in folklore right and she's working on her phd right now that's right yeah she, have you talked with her about uh monogenesis versus polygenesis in the the way that just like the the, the view of how these common traditions exist in the world you know like they either came from one single source monogenesis or polygenesis have you talked with her about we haven't talked about that specific thing but we have we have done some comparisons you know with my studying kind of the the history of of spirituality and, and religious traditions and her studying folklore there's a lot of crossover there absolutely between, yeah. between those two uh fields of study so we have yeah we've compared notes a little bit and it is cool. interesting where there is uh overlap and in, in in the direction of of uh you know people telling their stories and kind of their deepest uh, uh spiritual traditions and how these uh, become narratives that they live within uh yeah becomes a part of their society and and the way that they their worldview becomes right. wrapped around that narrative yeah and 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 so just to you know the, this this idea of monogenesis that there's a single origin to everything was so baked into my own worldview just by my experience as a mormon you know like being exposed to these kinds of things from nibley i mean it's all over the place of yeah. you know like there was a single truth and everything is a, a derivative of that I, I i had never really even considered the possibility of polygenesis that that these common things that we share could have originated in other places independent of one another, mm. but that the commonality isn't like geographic location or a place in time, but just the human psyche and the human experience. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. like 
of, of course, there's common, common problems, so there's going to be common solutions. And so there could be this polygenetic explanation as to why you have something. So, so you might go into it like a nibbly and go, because this is similar to this thing, it's connected. Well, <laughs> maybe the only connection is the human psyche yeah. and not any other kind of thing. Anyway, yeah. so that, that, yeah. yeah. So, so for the longest time, I, I, I looked at it as all, all of these things that I was finding out and learning uh, through Nib yeah. and studying the temple, I th thought it was all evidence and proof for the truthfulness of the LDS church. Yeah. Um, and uh, later on, uh, I came to a, a, a pretty different understanding of why we see all those similarities. And, and it's probably a mix of the monogenesis and, and polygenesis that you talk about. Oh, absolutely. About yeah. How we're all part of a single reality. We're all members of kind of this human condition and the human psyche. And so there are archetypes that are embedded in our our nature that that can come out in in all of these different uh, uh, places and different cultures and times throughout history. Uh, can you give an example of an archetype? Um, what what are, what are some of these archetypes? Yeah. So, for example, uh, resurrection uh, is mm. is. Uh, an archetype that exists in so many different cultures, um, you know, long predating Christianity, uh, the idea of rebirth, uh, mm -hmm. of, of the divinity coming back to life, uh, that has been around in so many different cultures and different uh, societies and, and spiritual traditions, really as far back as we can go um, in history. Um, and so that's, that's just one example of, of something that seems to be embedded somehow in our nature. There's, there's something deep in the human psyche that, that has this intuition of, of, of the divine being reborn in the world. Uh, and mm. it's cyclical. It happens uh, over and over and over. And uh, you know, you could call it reincarnation, you can call it resurrection, you can call it rebirth. There's so many different terms yeah. that different cultures have, have given to it. Um, but they're all a very similar intuition of, of the divine coming back to life uh, repeatedly. Yeah. So that's just, that's one example. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and before you move on from that, I just want, you know, I, th I think there's, there, there, there could be a lot of um, explanations as to why there's that archetype that seems to be intuitively there. I mean, have, have you come across any explanations as to why that exists that are really satisfying to you? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've definitely uh, reinterpreted the resurrection story, uh, you know, the, the way that I used to think of it. Uh, was very literal uh, in terms sure. of, you know, Jesus died, he was in the tomb for three days, and then he came back to life. He was, Jesus the person was uh, uh, made to be a living uh, human being once again. Uh, and I took it all very literally uh, and historically that that was what resurrection was about. And, mm -hmm. and that when we are resurrected, it will be because after we die, uh, something will happen that will bring our bodies back together and we will be the, the same people that, that we think 
uh, we are today once again. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I now see it in a, in a very uh, different light. Um, I see it much more um, in the sense of there, there is this, this cosmos, there's this universe that has generated beings like us, uh, living things. Uh, and and uh, we tend to think that, that we are our own independent selves, our own independent beings ap apart from nature, but really we are nature happening. We are sure. that, that cosmos that is uh, being formed into living forms, living beings. We're being, we are the incarnate uh, uh, form of, of the cosmos itself. Um, and, and so in my mind, resurrection has taken on this, uh, uh, this, this symbolism of the cosmos itself becoming in, incarnate in living things. Sure. All yeah. living things, you know, whether human or animal or plant life. Right. Or even non-living things, all form, all material things, all physicality, all objects in the entire universe have have had uh, have been constituted from something deeper. Um, they've they've taken on form, and in some cases, such as ours, has have they've also taken on life. And so, really, yeah. it's it's that idea of 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 a transcendent uh, being. Uh, that has become all form and including living things and it continually takes on new forms uh, when when you know in, in eastern traditions they say that that uh, there's nothing that is permanent it's all right. impermanent everything is yeah. changing everything is is undergoing a process and it's it's living and it's dying uh, and but then things are formed again. Uh, the new forms take shape. New new organisms are born, um, and this is a continual process, uh, continual cycle that goes around and around. Uh, yeah. And, and so that's the way that I now uh, view uh, resurrection. There's 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 subtleties and different ways that you can interpret. Um, uh, resurrection, but that's that's one of the primary ways that I now view it uh, is as kind of the universal is becoming incarnate in finite forms continually. Yeah, the the infinite becoming finite, then becoming yeah. infinite again, then becoming finite, and yeah, you know, I, I I think when when I'm trying to imagine why there would be an archetype like that that's embedded in the human psyche and is kind of common across, you know, space and time. Uh, that that from from the earliest days of of man being able to observe the seasons and see okay there's there's winter spring summer fall we get, yeah. you know you see this cycle going on yeah. all around you of death and rebirth and and this you know like a sense of your own mortality this fear of like oh wait so someday I'm gonna die what the heck is that going to be about you know and, yeah. and so you, you yeah. so, so th there's this 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 fear and then there's also this observation that life continues to go on and i really like the way that you you said it we we are uh 
we are that, you know, we, yeah. we, we grow out of this world just the way that a tree has grown out of this world. And we have, we, we have, we seed and fruit and reproduce just the way other forms of life yeah. uh, do, do this. Um, and, and so there, so I, I guess when, when you get so attached to your own individual personality, you know, like a, a single blossom on a tree, you're like, is that blossom going to come back? Is that exact blossom going to come back? No, but next year there's going to be a blossom in that spot on the yeah. tree again. It might not be exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and, and this is where it starts to get more into the mysticism of it. Uh, yeah. Because what we think of, of as ourself yeah. is as this personality, this, this right. person that I have become in the world, which is kind of this, it's, it's a construction of so many different ideas and memories and experiences. And we develop this sense of self. Um, but if we strip all, all of that away, what are we, you know, where, where did we come from? Where did we uh, take our, our form from? And, and I think if we, if we, you know, dig down deep into that, we, we find that, that we are like that blossom coming out of the tree uh, we are this living thing that, that has emerged from the earth uh, and, and we are a part of that earth, um, you know, which is interesting if, if you look at the, uh, the Hebrew uh, origin of the name Adam uh, mm. from the Hebrew Adama, uh, which actually means ground or earth. Does it mean red clay? Uh, well, yeah, and in, in in a sense, it's 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 uh, even even the word human with that mm -hmm. H-U-M uh, uh, beginning, it it denotes hummus or soil. It, it's it's all pointing back to the the ground. We have mm. we have come out of the ground. You know, Genesis says that you you are are from the dust of the earth, and unto the dust you will return. Um, and so, so yeah, the, uh, our sense of self um, uh, is, is a, a big part of the mystical uh, point of view. Uh, and it is seen as something that um, is veiling our deeper self, the deeper part of our nature that is one with the earth or one with nature, one with the cosmos. Um, and, and so when you start looking in that light, uh, then you know, every living thing that comes into being, that comes into life, it's not a person that's coming to life. It's that universal uh, principle or the, the universal nature that is, that is sprouting out from its own self. Uh, it's the deeper... Uh, you know, whatever word you want to call it, divine or God or cosmos or nature that is growing out of itself. It is developing, it is unfolding. Yeah. And, and that is what is being incarnate in, in all forms in, in the universe. Um, yeah, I want to come back to this idea of, of, of self and, um, but, but, but bef before we get too far down the mystical yeah. rabbit hole, I, I want to hear the end of your, uh, your own metamorphosis story of how you went from being this um, very conservative, devout, curious TBM <laughs> to 
like, wait a minute, I, I, I'm taking, I, I'm going from a literal interpretation of these things to a metaphorical, mystical yeah. interpretation of these things. And, and I definitely do want to get back to the self because that's sure. fascinating to me. Yeah. So after I got back from my mission, I, I really started reading Nibley a lot more and got really interested in the temple, as I was saying. And so I started a website uh, that's still online. It's called templestudy.com. And for about six or seven years, uh, I, I studied and, and wrote about the temple. Um, I, I wrote about all those things that we were talking about, all those parallels, those interesting mm -hmm. uh, uh, correspondences between the LDS temple tradition and other ancient um, uh, spiritual traditions and esoteric. Or quasi-ancient. Yeah, yeah. And like, and like the Masonic stuff. Which, exactly. You know, maybe it goes back ancient, maybe it doesn't. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Some things were more ancient than others. Right, yeah. Um, and so I, I was writing about all of these things, and, and I thought it was all, you know, evidence for the truthfulness of the LDS church. Um, but I guess it was around 2012 or so uh, that I started studying um, evolution uh, in depth. I got a, a bunch of books, uh, most of them actually from LDS authors, uh, mm. incidentally. Um, and I just really wanted to understand, okay, what is evolution uh, what does it mean about for humanity because I had I had grown up with a very conservative uh, uh, young earth creationist type of viewpoint that that uh, believed that Adam and Eve were literal literally the first humans on earth and and uh, and the, the first time that death was ever introduced into the earth was from the fall right, exactly uh-huh um, and so I had a very literal view, and so um, I wanted to know what this evolution thing was all about. And the, d the deeper I dug into evolution, the more I realized that this really is a real thing, uh, that, <laughs> that uh, all the life on Earth has really evolved from more primitive forms over billions of years. Um, and as I pondered, that and thought through it more and more, the more I could not take the uh, religious stories literally anymore. I, I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile um, what I was learning about uh, biological evolution and the literal interpretation of all the religious stories that I had been told my whole life. Right. Uh, and so gradually, uh, you could say my my shelf broke. <laughs> um, I I couldn't couldn't reconcile it anymore. Uh, the the literal point of view of of uh, all the religious stories um, didn't make sense to me anymore, and I couldn't I, I couldn't I couldn't uh, be authentic uh, with myself if I continued believing in it that way, and so. You know, over time, that really worked on me uh, until in about, it was about 2016 or so, um, both my wife and myself uh, decided to leave the LDS church. Um, we just didn't, didn't feel like it was resonating with what we were learning and, and feeling and, and believing. And it was, it was mainly due to, to evolution? 
for me it was uh there was some other other uh, more minor things um that uh were upsetting uh, and for my wife it was it was other things uh uh that uh that didn't resonate with her mm-hmm. um, but we kind of both came to this conclusion at the same time that that it wasn't working for us um what we were what we were doing in the LDS church, it just wasn't resonating anymore. Um, did, did, but before, before you made that decision to leave, did, did you get excited about evolution? Did you ever see like, um, or, or, or construct <laughs> ways that evolution could fit into the gospel, even though, you know, you're seeing, okay, we can't literally a- accept the garden of eden story anymore because i can't i can't believe that adam and eve were the first humans created or that these animals were just like boom sculpted out of clay yeah by the 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 great god sculptor of the universe (laughs) um i it it happened in a different way so did 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 you find a way to reconcile those things um did you ever try to engage with other members of your ward like and especially around the the idea of eternal progression because when i when i started learning about evolution i i saw these correlates to spiritual development and especially um what joseph smith talked about um intelligences and how elohim had been the you know in in the beginning whatever there was just the sea of intelligent energy and there was one that was more intelligent than the rest and recognized that it was and like came to this awareness of itself and then had this mission to bring the other intelligences to an awareness of themselves you know from the king follett discourse i'm like holy cow that that could fit in with this idea of evolution to me at the time even even as i was still a a believer yeah but I, i but but people weren't as excited about those things as I was when I would talk about them in gospel doctrine class. And so yeah. eventually I was shown the door. Yeah. Yeah. That, that idea of kind of eternal progression that, that definitely uh, rung a bell with the evolution, the idea of evolution, the thing yeah. always progressing. Right. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I kind of looked at like that. the line upon line, precept upon yeah. precept, mutation upon mutation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I, I really I went back to uh, my fallback Nibley uh, and and tried to see what he had said about the subject. And and he at one time wrote an essay before Adam, um, mm. where he talked about well, there were human-like beings before Adam and Eve. That seems pretty clear. Uh, and the way that he looked at it was that that God started this whole drama of, of modern humans with two of them. Like it's, it's like God came down and chose two of the humanoids that were here on earth. That were just at, you know, like ignorant beasts of the field kind of thing. And like put their intelligence into them and here's your divine spirit that separates you from the other Cro-Magnon. Exactly. Amen. It seems yeah. like he, he believed that, that God just picked two at random mm. from the humans or human-like uh, ancestors that, that we have to become or 
or be the Adam and Eve of the Genesis story and mm-hmm. that God made a garden of Eden and he, he put these two humans into that garden and, and that kind of began the whole drama of of Genesis and, and everything unfolded from there. And so mm-hmm. from for a long time, that's the kind of way I looked at it and the way yeah. that I reconciled it with... Uh, um, with the the teachings of the church uh, or tried to at least for a time but even that eventually didn't make sense to me anymore it didn't make sense to me why god would select just two of these humans and there must have been at least hundreds of thousands of them at that time if if you're talking literally you know six thousand years ago um, Six thousand. <laughs> um, it didn't make sense to me that God would select only two of them in order to become uh, covenant beings with with God and to start the whole drama of of humanity and to exclude the rest that that had to have been hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of other human beings on Earth. Um, that just fell apart uh, for me. It, it didn't. It, it didn't make any sense to me anymore that that God would do that. That God would be so selective and uh, and 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 of course that whole idea of you know death being introduced by the fall that didn't seem to jive with the idea that life has been dying for millions yeah. of years even before. Uh, yeah, you can't have evolution with that. You couldn't have had. You couldn't have had those two. Yeah. That, that God picked out of the hundreds of thousands without like a whole bunch of death yeah. before. <laughs> so I reconciled it for a time, trying to use some of those ways, but eventually those fell through as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I, I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't believe in those ways of reconciling it. Um, and I had to, I had to find a different way of, of, uh, of belief. Um, do you think, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like how much of, of this is social pressure because the beliefs don't fit together anymore. And so the, the, the main group says, I'm going to push out the, uh, the, the beliefs that are not similar. Um, how much of that was like a social reaction? How much was just like your own personal, I don't really fit here anymore. I'm, I'm sure it was a blend of the two. Yeah, it was, but if, if, it was a blend for sure. Um, I even wrote about it occasionally on Temple Study about evolution and the ways that I was reconciling it with myself. And I was having some discussions with others about how they were going about reconciling it. And, um, but it was, it was really hammering me internally, um, trying to make it all work out. Um, and eventually I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't, the ways, the, the church was teaching uh, were the nature of Adam and Eve, that these were literal individuals, two human individuals that had the, 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 the whole human drama had begun with in, in a literal Garden of Eden. Uh, yeah. It just, eventually I had to let that go. I had, yeah. to, I had to go beyond it. I had to detach myself from it. Um, from the literalness of it from the literal uh, interpretation of it yeah um i i just couldn't see myself going down that road any further and being a genuine human being that that uh, believed in what i believed in um, mm. 
Uh, and so, you know, eventually me and my wife, we decided to, to leave the church. And that was, that was one of the hardest things that um, I, for my wife as well, it was incredibly difficult. You know, it was not an easy thing to, to leave the church. Uh, it was our entire worldview uh, up until that time, uh, we had both been born into it. Um, and so it was just, it was devastating to have to leave that behind. It, it was just soul crushing. Um, and and it, it plunged me into a kind of depression for uh, uh, at least a, a couple, couple years or so. I was really, really struggling to try to rebuild some sense of the world uh, and my place in it. Um, uh, and one of the first places I went uh, was uh, somehow I came across this idea of meditation. Um, I think it, it, might, it was the first book I read on it was a book called Mindfulness in Plain English. And I can't even pronounce the author's name. It's like yeah. Gur Gurantara, <laughs> uh, but it's you did it. It's a you pronounced it. It's a classic book about uh, you know what is meditation and how to do it. Yeah. Um, and I read that, and it really made an impact on me. And I decided I'm going to try this. This is a this sounds like a pretty traditional uh, spiritual practice um, that that might do me some good. And so I, I, I started, um, you know, just meditating for maybe five or 10 minutes a day. Um, and, and I Im almost immediately started noticing um, a, a difference in my life. Um, my mind started quieting down a little bit more. I, and I started seeing things internally that had, um, uh, that I had been blind to, that I, that I hadn't recognized before. Um, and so this, this, this spiritual practice, um, it, it, it really started to open my eyes to the deeper nature of spirituality and religion in general. Um, I started reading some other books, um, that also talked about meditation, like, uh, uh, 10% Happier uh, mm -hmm. by Dan Harris and uh, yeah. Waking Up by Sam Harris, mm -hmm. uh, even though he was, he's pretty negative about religion in general. He's very, uh, he's very much an enthusiast about spiritual practice and meditation specifically yeah. as a way of getting much more in touch with our deepest uh, being, our, our deepest internal nature and, and consciousness itself. Yeah. Um, and so that, that led me even further into a spiritual practice and, and developing my meditation practice. Um, which now, now were, were, you, were you doing the meditation before you left or you, you found this after you left Mormonism? I had started uh, just before we left, um, just a few months before we left. Uh, so meditation was a tool that the devil used to help you <laughs> exactly. out of the truth. Right. That, okay. Yeah. I just wanted to be sure about that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, it started opening my eyes up to, to the, 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 the deeper nature of what 
spirit is. Um, mm. I had I had always thought very intellectually about um, spirituality and religion. It was all it was very much a very conceptual game for me. Uh, yeah, uh, trying to work things out intellectually, um, but I hadn't really made it an internal thing. I hadn't really made that 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 internal connection to spirit. Yeah. I had I had occasionally felt uh, the spirit um, on my mission and and I had you know spiritual experiences that that I, I felt really joyful and and uh, uh, and that kind of thing but but I didn't know why I didn't I hadn't made any kind of really deep spiritual connection uh, within myself mm-hmm. um, but beginning a meditation practice and, and making it a serious daily thing uh, that I feel really started getting me in touch with what is this thing that we call spirit? You know, what does that yeah. mean? And what does it mean um, to have a, a spiritual practice? Um, I, I think right now is a, is a good time to, to ask you, I, I'm going to ask you, two questions and I'd like you to answer them in the order that they're given. <laughs> the first question for you Bryce is what is your position on woo? Woo woo. Okay? Cuz we talked about that a little bit the other day. Define it, talk about what it is, how do you feel about it? And then the second thing, what is spirit or spirituality? Then I'd yeah. like you to d- define that. But let's start with the woo and then go to the spirituality. Yeah, so the way that I would see Wu um, is in connection to a lot of uh, modern uh, New Age perspectives that seem to be wholly ungrounded or completely un- untethered from any kind of rational uh, basis whatsoever uh, or scientific grounding. Um, things that- Can you give any examples? Well, for example, um, the idea that crystals have some kind of magical properties that that heal us. Um, this seems to me to be a kind of woo because there has been no there have been no studies that show that crystals inherently have any kind of magical vibration or frequency type of property that would have any effect on the human being. Um, and so this new age um, idea of, of crystals having healing properties uh, starts to verge on that woo factor. Um, it, goes, it goes beyond anything that, that uh, we have any kind of rational basis for believing to be true or real in, in reality. Um, so that's, that's one example. And there's, there's many that, that have, popped up in new age circles mm-hmm. um, that that seem to just be wholly untethered from any uh, grounding in in reality any kind of evidence whatsoever for them yeah um, so what and, and so what is your your reaction or your response when you come across something that that you see oh this is woo this is this is untethered from rational thinking or from any yeah. kind of scientific yeah so the, the way that I usually see those things uh, now is I think there is a, a reason for them. 
there's a, there's a reason why they have emerged in kind of our collective consciousness uh, in humanity uh, and why they cropped up in, in these new age circles. But I don't think- So when you say there's a reason for them, like there's a, there's a value in- There's a reason that they have come to be uh, yeah. in, in these new age circles. But I think we don't know what that reason is. Um, uh, but you didn't like the word that I, I gave you value. <laughs> I do think that there could be value to it as well. Um, uh, well this, this is the premise behind folklore, you know, <laughs> that, that tra traditions that don't provide any value die off. Yeah. Tra tra traditions that, that do have a value, even if that value changes, even if the way that the tradition functions changes, as long as there's a value to it. Yeah. It, it, it's kept alive, it's maintained. So if, if there's something like crystals or these kind of woo things where you're saying there's a reason for it, I go straight to like, what is the value? What is yeah. the function? And it doesn't have to necessarily be the same function or the same value for everybody who's uh, keeping it alive. But, but there's, there has to be some kind of a, uh, a, an explanation, some kind of a reason, some kind of value for it to stay alive. But yeah, value. Um... I do think there there is value um, in some sense um, in in a lot of the woo. Um, Even if the value is only creating a sense of community. Yeah. So you've got a group of people who are are they come together over similar beliefs, whether those beliefs are grounded in rationality or science or not. If it brings these people together. Um, and, and you can have a really fulfilling life around very unscientific yeah. ideas. And, and you said something about, you know, belief. Our beliefs are very powerful um, yeah. as, you know, the placebo effect has shown. Yeah. What we believe works has a tremendous impact on, on our, our, our way of being in the world and in our communities. Yeah. And so even, even that, that belief function alone might serve a valid purpose or, or value in the community, even if, it's, even if it's something that's, you know, completely disconnected from any kind of scientific um, rationality. Uh, if we believe it to be true, if we believe that it has a, a value and an effect on us and our community, then, then that belief alone can serve a purpose. Yeah. Um, I, just don't, I just don't think that there, that there are, the ways in which we think these things are working, I don't think that, that we've really pinned that down. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, and a lot of the but so it, but but so the 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 point I wanted to, to bring out here was that when when you're exploring ideas of spirituality, you're also very cautious of of woo, yeah. And you want to stay very very clear of woo and and try to stick to those things that have uh, a rational basis, some some kind of scientific evidence. There have been studies, yeah. Um, peer-reviewed things that other people are seeing similar patterns yeah. and, and, and you lean more towards that. And if you see something that's this unfounded claim, yeah. you're like, eh. it's really easy to go out into the weeds of things when you're, when you're talking about mysticism, especially. Yeah. Um, you can really get far out there in things that just, you can start believing in things that just have no rational basis 
in reality. Um, and I try to stay clear of those things. Um, I try to base my beliefs in some kind of rationality or in my own personal experience uh, as well. Um, because there is a lot of um, uh, mysticism that, that takes you beyond uh, rationality. And that's, that's where you, you can start to get into trouble if you're not careful. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so let's go to spirit. What, what is spirit or spirit? Like, what is spirit? Yeah. Um, the way that I see spirit now, um, which, you know, is quite different than when I was in the church. I see spirit now as, as something very closely uh, related, if not the same as consciousness. Um, uh, it is, it is that which makes us aware beings or alive beings. It's, you could call it, you know, the life force or the life energy or the, the, uh, awareness, um, that has, that has come into being in, in living things, um, it's that breath of life that, that the divine has, has caused to emerge here in you and me and all living things. We all have some kind of, of, of awareness, of consciousness, of, of knowing or of interacting with our environment, of being aware. Um, and, and this is what I refer to as, as spirit. Okay. That's interesting. I want, I want to, I want to double click on this one a little bit because that that's, it's a little bit different from what I view as spirit. And I hadn't thought about these differences before. It's interesting. So when I think about spirit now, I think about energy and, and you did say life energy, but for yeah. you, it was mainly awareness, consciousness, um, that, that part of it. So I, I think about like atomic energy or subatomic energy that would even be, you know, so, so I, I could say that the desk that I'm sitting at, I don't know if it has consciousness or not. There's not any, like if we're starting to say that this desk has consciousness, we're starting to get into that woo. <laughs> That's right. Here because there's no, there's no indication that this desk can experience anything as a desk. Right. Um, if, if the, when you get down into like the actual, molecules and the 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 atoms maybe they're interacting with the environment around them so there's some form of awareness or consciousness there but it, it's definitely an energy yeah it, it, like electricity a spark i don't know what what you would say other than energy but to me that's what spirit has come to mean and and spiritual um like like living a spiritual life is for me is kind of like a recognition of the oneness of it, like that energy, mm -hmm. whether we're talking about this desk and whether we're talking about a consciousness, that's some form of consciousness or the kind of consciousness that I experience, there's still that connection there. And so there's yeah. still some respect that should be paid or yeah. could be paid or, you know, yeah. like it, it would make life a more, um, fulfilling experience to see those commonalities and things that come at that level of spirit or energy. Yeah. So, so I think the biggest difference between the way that you and I see it right now is this idea of consciousness. Yeah. 
And, and I think I could see it through your lens as well that, that, you know, if you dig deeper behind, you know, what is consciousness, um, it, it seems like it does cross over into some kind of energy uh, factor, um, you know, in, in all that we have studied about the nature of the universe, it seems to all go back to some kind of energy form. Um, and even all matter seems to come originally from energy that has been fused. Together. Yeah. Um, that's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost kind of silly to, to me now to think that there's something separate yeah. that there's like matter and then there's energy. I mean, yeah. because it's like you don't, you can't have matter without energy. Exactly. And so, could you could you have energy without matter? I don't, I don't, I don't know if 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 they're really separate yeah. things. And you know, and we know now through Einstein that really energy and and mass are kind of two sides of the same coin. Uh, these are these are basically we're looking at the same thing in two different ways. Um, whether you call it energy or matter that has mass, we're looking at the same stuff, yeah. um, whatever we want to call that. Um, uh, and, and it's that stuff that seems to have given birth to the living beings that we, we know of today as, as ourself and, and, and all of life. So that's where I start bringing- And desks. Say again, desks, yeah. And desks. Desks, exactly. Yeah, yeah the, the, that, that deeper um, energy of, of spirit seems to have become incarnate in all forms, uh, including things like desks and living beings like you and me. Yeah. Um, and so that's, 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 that's how I, I see uh, the spirit now. So, so I, I want to have multiple talks with you, Bryce. So I don't want to like take, like do it all right now. But, but while we're talking about spirit, this idea of intelligence. And, and again, I, I, I referenced the King Follett discourse earlier because I've, I've always been fascinated with the, this idea of intelligence that's in the book. It, what is this? The Doctrine and Covenants and that like in, First, there was intelligence, which was unorganized intelligence. And then it was organized into spirit, you know, like beings or whatever. And then you have uh, incarnation in the flesh kind of thing. That's, that's the progression, right, that, the, that the, the Doctrine and Covenants has. But when I think about intelligence, like I've been thinking about the intelligence at, at a, like, we know that in our bodies we have DNA. Mm -hmm. And that the DNA is this intelligence that has been passed along through the process of evolution. Yes, there's mutations that, that happen, but mostly it's like, if there's this, then this is going to, uh, you know, like genetically express itself as a, a, a positive trait. What, what, what is it? It's like, I'm getting into my genetics here and I'm getting all messed up. Like, like if something is either a recessive or a dominant, uh -huh. is that what it is? Uh -huh. But, but that's all intelligence. Yeah. And it's stored in our bodies as, you know, it, it's energy that makes up the DNA. Like, what is it? Proteins? Uh -huh. um, amino acids. Amino acids. Um, but there's got to be something 
that is like the DNA behind the DNA that tells even the DNA what to do, you know? So like the DNA for a human is going to be different from a DNA from a frog or a DNA mm -hmm. from a tree because we've evolved through different paths. Yeah. But there's, there's gotta be something like I, I don't, and I'm exposing my own ignorance here. What, what makes a helium atom separate from a hydrogen atom separate from a, you know, like th those are also responses to the environment that if something is a certain way, then we're going to have this kind of a bond and become this kind of a thing that I would, I would imagine there must be some kind of intelligence even behind that. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what are your thoughts on that kind of intelligence and th does that put us into the woo? Well, I, the way that I would, I, I see it is, is that this whole universe seems to have a progression um, from simpler forms to more complex forms. We yeah. seem to clearly see that progression uh, from, from a very simple, um, uniform, early universe to what we have today, which is just an incredible diversity of forms and, and, and beings. Um, and, and so I see there's, that there's an evolution going on of intelligence, including this thing that we were talking about earlier, spirit or energy, becoming aware of itself. Um, and and that's, that's where I return to consciousness. This, this seems to be very closely related to what we, what we think of as intelligence and, and probably what, what Joseph Smith thought of as intelligence. It was this, this awareness factor that, that arises in living things that bec they can become self-reflective, aware of themselves. It's almost as if that spirit energy of the universe in becoming more complex and evolving is beginning to become aware of itself. It's waking up to its own nature um, through the, the conduit of consciousness. Um, so I, as, I'm, as I'm listening to you say this, I'm thinking about like what, what, what are the biological mechanisms for awareness? And we're talking about sensory perception, yeah. right? And, and, and again, the, the way that evolution has worked on our eyes to be able to register a certain spectrum of light uh, with our ears to register a, a certain spectrum of sound, which is just a disruption of molecules in the air. Yeah. You know, so, so like a, as, as the organism that eventually became, <laughs> I'm thinking back to the nibbly pre-atomites kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, I'm just making a joke in my mind. Sorry. <laughs> um, as, as we evolved our ability to sense and the, our, our brain to make sense of what we're sensing and to tell a story it's, it seems like that's what has evolved into this thing that people call the ego um or or the the part of our consciousness that is aware of the world around us as fed to us through our five main senses which there's not really just five but that's what we've been taught yeah you know? yeah the, the, it, and so that's that's what w would you agree that's what people refer to as the ego? Yes, uh, I, I think that you know evolution has created these these living beings that have developed 
this ability to sense their environment. Mm -hmm. And, and if we look at it all as, as this, this spirit energy that is, that is complexifying itself through evolution, then it's, it's developing these senses, these bodily senses uh, that register through consciousness as a kind of way of, of, of knowing itself. Um, but this is what, what does that mean? Knowing though, is, 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 is the knowing, is it just like a sensory response? You know, like it, it's the, the, the photon hitting the membrane of the eye and going, okay, there's an impact. It's sending an electronic signal to the brain. Like at, at what point does knowing happen? Is it yeah. the point of impact? Is it the point of, of recognition in the brain when there's a story that's told about what that actually is or what it means? Yeah. Like, Oh, there's this danger coming because, uh, you know, or, or the sound that we hear that we yeah. associate with with uh, harm or safety or, you know, all these Pavlovian things. Yeah. Like at what point does the, the knowing actually happen in, yeah. in the consciousness and awareness? We seem to know a lot about kind of the, the causal pathway from our senses all the way into our brain. Um, where it really gets mysterious is how do you yeah. get from a firing neuron, the yeah. action potential that, that goes down the dendrite of a neuron, how does that turn into experience? Right. How does that turn into a perception? And yeah. that's what's known as the hard problem of consciousness that no one's been yeah. able to solve. Um, how do you get from something physical to something mental? It's the mind-body problem that philosophers have been wrestling with for ages. Yeah. Um, and what I suggest is, is that what's going on in our brains is kind of the external or outward side of reality. And what we experience inwardly in our consciousness is the internal or inward side of reality. Uh, it's not that, that, that brain neurons and their, their firing uh, mechanisms that those are generating or causing our internal perceptions. It's rather we're looking at the same thing from two different sides. Um, the neuron is what it looks like on the outside, and our perceptions or our knowing in consciousness is what it feels like or what it is experienced on the inside. Um, and so that's, that's where the knowing... The, the, the inside and outside of what? Well, that's, that's the mysterious thing, is, is what is that deeper thing that gives rise to the two different sides? Um, and, and that's where we start, into, we start getting... We're starting to get much closer to that thing that we call the spirit or the divine or the one or God or, you know, whatever... There's so many different names that people have, have given it. Um, ultimate reality. Um, uh, there's so many different terms that we can give to it. But really, it's a very mysterious thing. What is that ultimate thing that is giving rise to both the physical and spiritual or mental sides of, of reality? Um, and, and that's where I think we start to get into, um, into you know, what is the nature of spirit and, and, and what are we ultimately in our deepest nature? Mm-hmm.
All right, I need to take a breath. <laughs> and now for your moment of zen. When I came across the sign saying, who are you and where are you from? We don't like business, come. Who says math was said? Who says work me? Who says yeah, my ass wiggle low me? I I love thinking about this kind of stuff and I it just um it gets it gets like this inward spiral of um I don't know when we talked the other day you were talking about the monkey brain yeah and all of the the different voices and chatter and those things that that you're actually able to silence through a practice of meditation yeah um and when when I engage in really fascinating uh subjects like this that monkey brain of mine starts going you know, the <laughs> hamster the hamster jumps on the wheel to, to switch metaphors and starts running around like crazy um yeah our our intellect we're always trying to figure out you know what are we where did we come from why why are we here who who are we you know what what we 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 seem to have you know woken up one day when we were young and going, you know, where did I come from? I, I must have come from somewhere. I didn't just yeah. come into existence from nowhere. Uh, and this, this gets us going down that road of, of thinking of, you know, who am I really? Uh, yeah. What's, what's the nature of my deepest being? What is my nature in nature? Um, and that's what starts to get us into uh, the mystical, uh, and, and, and what is the nature of, of reality that we find ourselves in today? And are we something separate from it or are we mm. a station of it? You know, we are it, yeah. an expression of nature itself. And we only think we're something separate from it in our minds because yeah. of the way that our intellects work, uh, the way that we have this kind of this duality of, of subject object uh, in yeah. order for us to perceive our perceptions or to know any kind of thought. Um, uh, but when we start digging down deeper uh, through spiritual practices like meditation and, or, other, or other means, we can almost penetrate through that, that intellect, that duality of intellect to something deeper. That, that does seem to show our oneness with all of reality, with all of nature, that we're not actually something separate from it. We are yeah. it that is yeah. manifesting itself uh, today in the here and now. Uh, and that's, that's where mysticism really takes us to is, is that direct intuitive perception of our oneness with all of being, with all of nature, with, with all of cosmos, with each yeah. other. Yeah. Um, uh, and and that's, that's where I think, you know, the origin of all religious traditions um, comes from, is that mystical intuition or contemplation of the oneness of all of reality. When, when you were ordained to the priesthood, did you get one of those uh, charts that showed like whoever ordained you, who ordained them and who ordained them, like all the way back to Joseph Smith. And then, you know, yeah, Peter, James and John and Jesus. I did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'd be really interesting if you could come up with some kind of um, chain of process visual 
that starts with you and works all the way back. Every single domino thing that had to happen to, to be you all the way back to the big bang. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because, because there is a continuous chain. Yeah. <laughs> just, just like there is in the imaginary priesthood uh, graph, yeah. there is this very real chain of events that happened that started with the big bang. And right now, all of that stuff that started back then, this, this, this chain of events is manifested in yeah. you right now. Those are the kinds of things in mysticism that yeah. really expand my way of looking at things that I get really interested in. Yeah. And, and I, I, I want to wrap it up for, for today here just in a couple of minutes. Um, I, do you consider yourself a mystic or are you interest, just like a researcher of mysticism? Like, How do you identify yourself, Bryce? I would, I would definitely say that I'm a mystic. Um, I'm a, I'm a seeker. Um, I'm a contemplative. That's another word that is often thrown around, uh, for, for this kind of perception. Sorry about that. Sorry. Um, but yeah, yeah, I am, I am, uh, one that, um, not only studies, uh, genuine mystical, um, concepts and ideas and theologies and, and, and psychology, but I also try to practice it as well. I try to put it into practice. I try to, I have a, a contemplative practice of meditation that I, that I do daily. And so I'm, I'm not only kind of a third person uh, looking at it from the outside, but I also try to put myself into it itself to know it directly in my own experience. And so, so yeah, that's so that idea of direct experience with the the divine or with life, with nature, with spirit, with energy. Yeah, I, I, I mean, under that definition, I, I, I would think every single person is having direct experience. <laughs> they are direct experience with this, whether they're aware of it or thinking about it yeah. or not. Yeah. And, uh, what, do you, what do you think about that? And, and that's one of the most um, remarkable or, or uh, um, shocking things uh, that happens in the, the mystical experience in the mystical mm. awakening or realization is that we are all part of something, uh, a oneness, even if we don't know it, even if it is veiled from our awareness. Um, and, and for most people, it is, it is veiled. It, we have become blind to it. We are unaware of who we are. at the Or uninterested. I mean, a lot of people are just uninterested in it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and, and so this, this connection to, to spirit is, is something that we all possess, even those that are unaware of it or, or don't care to be aware of it. Uh, it is something that seems to exist in kind of the, the ground of being itself, which we all yeah. are participants in. Um, it's something that is, is in each and every one of us, even if we are not aware of it. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's part of the, uh, the mystical realization is that we're all members of this this one body whether you call it the the body of christ or the the yeah. brahman or the universe or nature right that that is part of that that realization and and i'm 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 curious how becoming a, a mystic as as you have in these recent years um has changed 
or impacted or influenced the way that you view Mormonism. Yeah. And, um, you know, because I, even as you were talking about the oneness, I'm thinking about the idea of Zion. And, you know, you've got so many of these ideas that are baked into not just Mormonism, but, but many religions. Um, and, you know, I, I think maybe next time we could spend, spend some more time going into the, this impact on, on the way that you view Mormonism, but maybe yeah. just quickly, um, yeah. how has it changed that for you? Well, one of the, one of the most amazing things that, that came out of my own um, spiritual practice of, of meditation was the, this deep realization that all of the world's major religions or spiritual traditions, they have all come out of this deepest mystical realization of, of oneness. Um, they all seem to be different expressions of that ultimate reality. They're different lenses, almost like you take a prism and you shine white light through it and you get a million different colors out the other side. Yeah. Those million different colors are kind of all the different religious traditions that we have uh, today in the world. Um, yeah. they're, they're all interpretations or translations of that original mystical insight of, of, of oneness. Uh, yeah. And I see Mormonism in that light, that it is one of these expressions of the ultimate reality as it was interpreted and translated through the mind of, of Joseph Smith. I think he actually did have real direct encounters with the divine, mystical encounters, uh, visionary uh, experiences, and then his mind went to work on it, interpreting it in the symbols and the and the and the terms and the language and the real the his surrounding religious culture. Um, he viewed it through that lens, uh, and and so I I see Mormonism uh, as one of the expressions of the ultimate reality, uh, yeah. and I see in it very deep truth uh, that I couldn't see in it, ironically enough, when I was in yeah. the church, I was blind to it. Um, it was only after- Because of the, the literal way of interpreting the stories yeah, and stuff. Yeah, the literal way that completely fell apart, but after yeah. I started having um, these deeper mystical intuitions and contemplation, I'd be I see it in myself directly, yeah. in my own experience. I, I really loved your, your crystal metaphor, shining the light through the crystal and you get these you know, millions of different colors, yeah. mainly because um, you use crystals as an example of when you get into the woo, yeah. that, was, that was kind of fun. <laughs> but but, but um, j just as, you know, like if you've got this singular thing, whether you call it God or nature or source energy or like whatever you call it and you shine it through this thing that's, got all these crystals or apertures or whatever, and it splits off into a million different things. I think that's kind of what each person is. Each, each expression of life yeah. is like that too. Yeah. And so like you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't look at that, you know, million shades of rainbow and go, okay, reds are good. Yellows <laughs> are bad. Greens are just, they just screw everybody right. up. So we got to get rid of them. Right. You know, like it's, it's all part of the, the one, the same, yeah. thing. And so for, for, for me, I, I never really wanted to be all that angry at Mormonism anyway. And, and I think the way that 
that I came out of my literal beliefs studying folklore for as long as I did. It was a real gradual uh, burn for me. And I, I didn't really go through a lot of the, the anger yeah. where I felt like I was lied to, like a, a lot of people do because, of, oh, these are just traditions that we've learned. I understand it's, it's, this is what, what happens. Yeah. I, for, for me, taking a more mystical interpretation of Mormonism a- allows me to not get so upset yeah. <laughs> and, and be more accepting. I think be more, be more loving because that's where I want to be. I don't, I don't, if, if I could think of what, if there is a single source energy, God uh, way of viewing the world or looking at the world, like, I don't know if there is or or not, you know, like you would say, well, you're making Jesus unhappy. You know, you heard that or like, you're, you're, (laughs) you made the devil happy. You made Jesus cry, you know, things like that. I don't know if there's like a single personality that you could say, this is what, god thinks or views but if there was i can only use my imagination if there was it it would have to be it loves everything yeah it 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 appreciates it finds joy in everything it doesn't really judge everything it doesn't go okay the yellows are bad and the greens are good or anything like that it's it's all part of this different expressions of this one thing yeah and even if that's just a metaphor to to be able to in, in times where I'm being like super critical of myself because I, I did something that I shouldn't have done or whatever. I've got these cognitive distortions that, you know, I'm discounting the positive of what happened in my life or I'm catastrophizing. I'm trapped in anxiety. I'm worried, worried, worried. Having this uh, worldview has helped me find more peace and calm, especially around the, the Mormon yeah. stuff that is so deeply ingrained in me and yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Anyway, so so is, is that is that similar for you, Bryce? It it has definitely uh, brought a peace uh, into my life that I did not know before, um, and and a and a a very a deep peace, uh, yeah. knowing that that we are all in this together in one way or another. We're all going along this path of life together. And, and the ways that we view the ultimate, um, I don't think are at bottom contradictory. They're complementary. They're, they're different expressions of that ultimate oneness, that ultimate love that I think is the ground of, of reality itself. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing that, experiencing that directly in myself has really brought a lot of peace into my life as well. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, so just to wrap up for today, if people want to, to find you, Bryce, where can they find you? And if, if they want to have a, a one-on-one discussion with you about any of the things that came up or anything else, what, where could they find you and have that discussion? Yeah, so my, my current website is thymindoman.com, um, and that's where I have been writing uh, a lot of content for the last couple years about the mystical point of view and its relationship to Mormonism, Christianity more generally, and even beyond that to all the different major religious traditions. Um, that's where I do a lot of writing, um, have a topical guide there to, to help people get into different subjects that I've written about. 
and I also have that uh, friendship room where I'm able to, you know, if people want to meet with me to, to talk about different things, I'm, I'm open to that. And they can, they can schedule a time there to, uh, to meet with me online. Uh, in the front. How long do you usually schedule those for? It's like can, 30 minutes? Yeah, it can go for 30 minutes or, or an hour or even longer if, if need be. If people just want to, you know, to talk about these kinds of things, I'm, I'm open uh, to doing that. And, you know, there's no, there's no fee or anything to do that. Um, I, I have come around to uh, um, a gift economy in the way that I do things. Uh, I want to give uh, my gifts away as much as I possibly can um, uh, because I, I feel like I've been giving something, I've been given something uh, yeah. tremendously important and, and valuable uh, that I want to help give away as much as I possibly can to others. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I like that. Uh, did, did you come up with the, the gift economy or was that, that something that you saw some, Somewhere else. That is something that uh, has become more popular, particularly in kind of the, the, the contemplative circles that I, mm. I have uh, become acquainted with. It's, uh, it's a way of, of giving one's gifts away to the world and um, relying on the, the generous, generosity and, and goodwill of others to give in return. So it's kind of a reciprocal giving yeah. situation rather than... Uh, you know, the capitalists uh, market economy that we're so familiar with today yeah. have a much more heart in it and is much more in line with connecting people and establishing yeah. those deeper social bonds than, than we typically find in, in our market economy. Yeah. I like that gift economy. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Bryce, for coming on. So if, if anybody has any questions for Bryce or um, I, I, I plan to have, other conversations with Bryce where we go more into this idea of self and consciousness and, and some other things that we scratched the surface on today, Joseph Smith, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of directions we can go with this. So if, if there's any questions, things that people want us to want to hear us talk about, you can send an email to infants on thrones at gmail.com. I'll get that. Um, and uh, you know how to, to contact Bryce. I'll put his contact information on the, website as well a any final words Bryce no I think we've we've, we've covered a lot here and I look forward to further conversations yeah me too all right thanks a lot thank you hi this is Sam from Wilmer Minnesota on weekdays I prosecute criminals for crimes like domestic abuse production of methamphetamine and sexual assault on Sundays I learn about the things that are truly evil in this world, like gay people getting married, consumption of coffee, and bare shoulders. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, you can give the Korma a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones.